0: We are coming down the home stretch in this pandemic-era presidential race, and we have a pretty good sense of where things stand. Or do we? There's been a ton of polling conducted, and it all seems to point to a pretty consistent lead for Joe Biden. But there also seems to be no end to the teeth gnashing and nail biting going on by those who wonder whether we really have an accurate picture of things. I'm Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine. Today on the podcast, Polling and Politics in an Age of Uncertainty. We have three very informed voices to help us make sense of things. Jess Bidgood is a national political reporter for the Boston Globe who has been covering the presidential race. Welcome, Jess.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: David Paleologus is director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center, where he conducts national as well as local polling. David, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. And Steve Cazella is president of the Mass Inc. Polling Group, which operates under the broad umbrella of the Boston think tank Mass Inc., which is the publisher of Commonwealth Magazine. Hey there, Steve. Good to see you. So we're recording this on Thursday. It's 12 days until the election and only a week or even less to go by the time you're hearing this. Let's just start by having the pollsters here sort of set the table. Uh, David, what does all the polling tell you right now? Thank you. <clears throat> right now, it tells us that the, uh,
2: the, the race is a landslide right now for Joe Biden. Uh, it's not close in the blue states. He's Donald Trump is fighting to win Iowa and Ohio, which he won easily. And again, polls are a snapshot in time. Things can change. But looking at the numbers and the size of the, of the numbers in terms of the difference between Biden and Trump, um, it, 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 to me, it looks like it's it's not going to even be
0: close. But again, polls are a snapshot in time. Steve, how do you see things?
3: Yeah, I mean, if the polls, if the election turns out the way the polls suggest, that is where things, things are. I mean, I, I would say that I view things perhaps with... Um, with just a recollection of that things can go wrong. You know, that's something that I certainly would keep in mind as we go into the, into the last couple of weeks. So I certainly echo what David said about polls are a snapshot in time and things can change. And then also just that, uh, I can say that we've fixed a lot of what happened in 2016 as a polling community, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little a little bit later. But it's also, I think, just worth noting that we're in some sense always fighting the last war. You know, we've we know we fixed what happened in 2016, but just it, it's something to just worth keeping in mind that that we don't really know exactly what what 2020 is looking like just yet.
0: Right, and I think you're right. We, we we'll get into some of those those aspects of the polling, but just help us, just kind of. Uh, talk about how the campaigns and partisans are thinking about the race and how they're sort of taking in the polling at this point. You've been on the ground in several battleground states, and I'm struck just in the last few days by the headlines that are starting to come out about uh, the race, but also about the polling. There's uh, an NPR story, uh, the headline of which is, Anxious Democrats Don't Trust Biden Lead. His campaign is fine with that. Uh Today's New York Times had a story how Democrats are celebrating Biden's polling lead with abject dread. Um, so, they're, 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 I mean, both campaigns, I guess, have some reason to be cautious of the polls, or maybe in the case of Trump's uh, side, even dismissive of them. But, I mean, the polls clearly are driving... Uh, you know, sort of their decisions and strategic choices about what they do and where to deploy resources. How, how, how are you seeing kind of the polling itself kind of playing out and, and affecting just sort of how the campaigns operate and kind of the, the feeling in the campaigns?
1: Sure, sure. So, I mean, in a, in a, on earth B where 2016 never happened, if you had one campaign favored, you know, that had almost a 90% chance of winning in the other campaign that had closer to a 10% chance win- of winning, you'd think people who support the 90% chance of winning campaign would be feeling really good, would be feeling joyful, would be feeling, um, you know, like they're ready to take a victory lap. And the mood on the ground could not be further from that. I mean, I was in uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania last week for a Trump rally. And I was really struck by the degree to which President Trump's supporters, the base, they are jubilant. They look around, they see themselves standing in a crowd of five or six thousand people in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. They see all of the Trump signs they passed on the way to get there, and they feel like there is no way that their guy uh, can lose, even though he is trailing in Pennsylvania and all of these other battleground states. Democrats on the other hand, um, you read those, those those headlines were a good summation of the mood. They are deeply nervous. I mean, I think most Democrats that I talk to, whether you're talking about voters or you're talking about strategists or or campaign people are like kind of ready to just sort of curl up in the fetal position and and wait for November 3rd to pass us by. The, the, the trauma of the surprise upset um, in 2016 is real for Democrats. And so you're seeing the Biden campaign be very careful in its public statements, really go out of its way to, to tell supporters, there is still a path forward for Trump, we can't be complacent. Um, but at the same time, you're also hearing Democrats say uh, that, that if the polling is right, and he is as up is and and Biden is up as much as he appears to be, then this is a moment to push not just for, you know, a narrow win, but to really push for a landslide. So they're urging people to kind of not let up on that work um and 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 keep pushing to go far. But but it's I've been struck by how the mood seems to be the opposite of what you would expect it to be given the numbers, and I kind of expect that to remain the case for the next two weeks.
0: This is like maybe when your school kids go to, what is it, like Inside Out Day, where they wear the shirts, everything is backwards. Right, Um, absolutely. Steve, what do you, what do you, what were you you were going to jump in, Steve?
3: Yeah, I was going to say it's also worth noting that that uh, you know Jess is onto something, and just looking at the polling and, and sort of how polling works, it's all it's also possible that the polling is often in, in the wrong in the other direction, and that actually you know what we'll be looking at is an even more sizable Joe Biden victory than even what the polls are showing. Um, you know, there's some reasons that that could potentially be what it is. I mean, one of the big ones is just all the ways that the rules have changed this year, which makes it more difficult difficult to to identify exactly who might turn out to vote. Um, You know, so it's possible that you could see surges in in key places and surges of turnouts among Democrats who are the ones who, by and large, have taken advantage of early voting, for instance. Um, So I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen, but it's but there's an equal possibility that it could be off in the other direction and that the victory for Joe Biden could be even bigger than than the landslide that um, that David mentioned early on
0: yeah right I've seen some uh, some some talk even this week about this idea that you know the the sort of the likely voter screen that 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 you pollsters use may be off in that way um, if if uh, there is for some reason say a, a sort of lower turnout on election day whether it's because Trump voters are getting disillusioned by his kind of lack of focus in these closing days or the sort of surge of virus in different states there are kind of unknowns there that that could change turnout on election day, but as we now know, that change will not be felt evenly, and the Democrats have have banked a lot more of the early votes. So um, I think that's just another huge, you know, variable that makes this race different.
1: It is, it is, and and one thing that we're starting to see now that we're just you know a little less than two weeks out is like we're getting some hard data on this. Um, I was in Florida earlier this week looking at their process of early tallying. Um, And Florida is already seeing, as of yesterday, they had 1.4 million Democrats who had voted by mail and closer to about 900,000 Republicans who have voted by mail. Um, That is is a big and significant gap. It's also a huge increase in the number of Democrats who voted by by mail from 2016. Um, Early in-person voting has also started there and that's closer. Republicans have a slight lead there, but not enough to make up for that huge gap we're seeing in mail-in voting. So um, patterns are starting to emerge, um, but all of this is new. So it's a little early to understand what it all means.
0: And David, uh, maybe talk a little about what you make of this democratic uh, skittishness, maybe we'd call it, about reading too much into the poll numbers. And a lot of it, I think as Steve suggested earlier, does come from Democrats basically feeling spooked by the 2016 election. And the lead that Hillary Clinton had in most polls leading right up to Election Day. Um, so, what do you make of that skittishness? And maybe we could just talk briefly a little about that 2016 experience and and what what uh, pollsters have learned from that, as Steve was was alluding to earlier. Well, it's
2: it's totally understandable that there's some uh, nervousness and apprehension based on what happened in 2016, but things are a little bit different. I mean, we. First of all, you would you would need to see a dramatic shift in the national polling from a polling average of 10-11 down to three percent nationally. I, we haven't begun to see that. Um, you, you also don't see a, a break in the in the blue wall states, at least up to this point. We're two weeks out. Michigan polling, um, Wisconsin, and we just finished Pennsylvania. We thought we were the outlier having a mid-high single-digit lead for Biden. And then it was virtually confirmed by two other polls that, that came in around the same number or higher than, than the seven-point lead we had in Pennsylvania. And if Donald Trump doesn't break into the, those blue-wall states, where does he go from there? I mean, um, granted, in 2016, a lot of the top public pollsters did not pull those blue-wall states in the last seven to 10 days. Uh, we we didn't at Suffolk. Quinnipiac didn't. Uh, Marist did not. Monmouth didn't, I don't think, in the last week. And so if you were an aggregator, if you were Nate Silver or Larry Sabato or Charlie Cook, you had a based in your, your prediction on the Electoral College based on a lot of other polls and, and some of which were not as highly rated. And I, I don't think that mistake was made this time. Um, we're 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 all in in the blue wall states, and we keep coming back with the same numbers. Now, having said that, look, a lot can happen in two weeks. Donald Trump could hit a grand slam tonight in the debate. Um, you know, the Hunter Biden story could blow up in a way, or maybe Donald Trump brings up the the, the Hunter Biden story in a way that generates news. Um, you know, a vaccine could be announced next week. I mean, there are a number of different scenarios, but I think they're all on the unlikely scale and outside of the bell curve. So, um, you know, all things being equal, even if the lead comes down from 10, 11 to five or six nationally, and that could very much, very well happen, um, you know, you still have Biden comfortably ahead. And if he doesn't lose any of the three, wall, three uh, blue wall states, you know even if donald trump runs the table and wins florida iowa ohio you know north carolina it's not going to matter
3: david makes a really good point too which is one of the things that in the postmortem that pollsters did after 2016 that that the the report that was put, that was put out by by apor which is the national organization that lots of pollsters belong to identified the lack of state polling or the relative focus on national polling as one of the real Um, issues. One of the things that led to the possibility of the surprise that happened in 2016. So, you know, the national media outlets, a lot of them were focusing more attention um, both earlier on um, and also on national polling. And this time, you know, if you're if you're thinking where were all those New York Times Sienna polls back in 2016 and, you know, it just seems like there's way more state polling. You're right. You know, there is more state polling. Um, So I think that's one of the things, too, which I, I think reduces the chance of something uh, of a surprise happening, like happened in 2016. I mean, I think I'm reflexively defensive when people say when people, you know, <laughs> make projections. But it's absolutely true that the issues that we had in 2016, one of which was a lack of high quality late state polling, have been addressed um, in, in the intervening years.
1: And I think also um, it's important to note uh, that there were some signs. Uh, that that things were not quite as sunny for Clinton as as people thought back in 2016. Um, David Wasserman, the House editor of the Cook Political Report, has pointed out that in the run-up to 2016, he did start to see Trump running way ahead in House districts that were supposed to be close, that were expected to be close. He saw Trump breaking out um, a significant lead in those districts. And as he polls close districts now, um, he's not seeing that. So I, I do think it's 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 also worth thinking about um, what signs were missed in 2016 uh, that, that were there in the polling. They just they just weren't paid as much attention to. And are those signs there now? Um, and and they're not being seen.
3: One other one that I would add to that jess is um, is the favorability numbers for the two candidates you know back in two thousand and sixteen, a lot of the polling we did in New Hampshire basically divided the state into three parts: there were people who liked Clinton, people who liked Trump, and people who liked neither and There was very little crossover between. Um, between people who liked uh, Clinton and Trump, for instance. But, you know, looking at the polling nationwide, this this time Biden has positive favorables in a a lot of the battleground states and Trump has negative favorables. It's not nobody likes anybody. Um, This time Biden does better on favorables. And and among those who don't like either candidate, uh, Biden is doing better than Clinton did among the same group, um, you know, back in 2016.
0: Right. It seems like in 2016, uh, I don't know if you remember, I think it was maybe a speech in Detroit where Trump addressed black voters and he said sort of, what the hell do you have to lose or something? I mean, some ridiculous uh, call for, for support from the black community, but it seems like more broadly voters who were really not keen on either candidate sort of took, they took that message to heart. I mean, they did, as you say, kind of break for Trump. Uh, when faced with two candidates who who you know neither of whom who appealed to them much, I also wonder you know this issue about national polls versus state polls is this a is this a a, a more recent phenomenon that 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 they could diverge in that way? Is that sort of a function of of hei- heightened polarization um, or, or or has that always been the case that that we were maybe Sort of had our eye on the wrong on the wrong thing, but it didn't maybe end up end up being uh, sort of as costly in terms of the the kind of picture it, it told us.
2: So well, I think the national polls generally run more democratic, and that's because of California. California's population is such a big proportion of a, of the popular vote and the national vote, and that's why you see you know you you see the extra percentage points in the polling right now. So the battleground states are generally polling with Biden plus five five, five or six, and the national polling is Biden plus 10 or 11. So that four or five point difference does, does, uh, does matter. And, and, it's, and it's a way to, it's a check and balance so that if the national polling does come down, two, five, or six, you know, then it's a race, you know, then, then it will be competitive in a lot of the battleground states. If it comes down to three, like it did in 2016, then Trump has a shot. And, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not saying definitively that Biden is going to win, but that's at this point in time, two weeks out, certainly the odds are in his favor, not only because of the national polling, which is a, an amazing lead, Um, but also because, you know, the electoral math is not working well for Donald Trump. So he really has to uh, pull a rabbit out of the hat in the next two weeks to try and to try and uh, move
0: the pendulum the other way. There's I've also just been struck by when you sort of track the national polling over the course of this year. It's just not budged at all. And that really uh, is a different picture than 2016. There was a lot more volatility uh, looking at those, the, the lines even crossed at one point with Trump having a slight lead and they were just, it, it kind of showed the, the kind of uncertainty or maybe unease or discomfort of the electorate around the choices. And it's just been these kind of steady lines, it seems, all all through the you know spring and summer and now into the fall.
3: I'd even extend that back a bit further. I mean, the Trump's approval numbers basically haven't moved since he's been president. Um, I mean, they've gone up a point or two here and there, down a point or two, but it's kind of been roughly in the same range, you know, since he was elected. Um, 538 has this really interesting graphic where they compare him through his um, first term with historical presidents going back decades. And you can look and see, you know, every other president, their favorability moved. Or, I'm sorry, their job approval moved up and down and was sometimes... You know, lower than Trump in some cases, higher. But you'd see these big swings. And with Trump, even in the midst of all the noise and all the scandal and all of the news coverage, just nothing's really driven it way up or driven it way down. It's been right there in kind of the forty-ish to forty-three-ish kind of range um, for the most part. His entire entire first term.
0: I mean, another thing. I mean, the polling's been 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 very consistent. It's also. Been the case that I think we have a pretty small number, uh, certainly at this point, of undecided voters. In fact, I mean, there's been a lot of stories lately, uh, sort of a little bit, sort of maybe snarky takes expressing amazement that there could be someone out there that really hasn't made up their mind yet about uh, a a race that a lot of people think, you know, uh, presents pretty stark choices. But what is your reporting uh, from these battleground states been telling you, Jess, about these folks who? you know if the race still does sort of hang in the balance then you know it would seem they they hold uh, they hold all the cards or at least a lot of them what who are these folks and what is it they're saying about their uh, continued indecision
1: so there is absolutely a remarkably slim number of voters left who are still undecided and when i have been out uh, this is a little anecdotal but when i have been out in battleground states what i'm struck by is is I hear more voters who are undecided, who know, they basically know how they feel about Trump. The question is how do they feel about Biden? So I was in uh, Lindsey Graham's hometown of central South Carolina a few weeks back, which is uh, in a pretty conservative part of the state. Um, And uh, I was chatting with a, a couple of women who were waiting to get haircuts inside a salon. And they said they had voted for Trump in 2016 because they wanted to try something different, felt totally turned off by him now. I think one described him as either a petulant brat or a petulant child. I can't remember what her exact term was. And then she said she wasn't gonna vote for Trump. Her question was, was she gonna vote for Biden or was she gonna write in Dwayne the Rock Johnson (laughs) instead? Um, And her daughter was the same way. Her decision was, do I vote for Biden or do I vote for a third party candidate or or do a write-in? They knew they didn't want to vote for Trump. So I do think that um, voters don't, even though he's been in public life for longer than I've been alive um, and he has been vice president, uh, he's Joe Biden has never kind of dominated the media landscape and the airwaves the way that Trump has. So I do think there are voters out there who are still forming opinions on on how they feel about him. Uh, but the number of voters who are deciding between Trump and and Biden seems quite small. Um, those who are left making that decision, um, many of them may be Republicans who haven't voted for a Democrat in their lives, uh, but are feeling turned off at this point by Trump, uh, by the the Trump show. Um, And those are voters that groups like the Lincoln Project or Republican Voters Against Trump are trying really hard to bring over. Those are also voters that the Biden campaign has spent a lot of time trying to bring over by rolling out surrogates, you know, the DNC um, who are themselves. Uh, former Republicans, so that's another group of potentially undecided people that uh, I would be looking at
0: and uh, Steve and David, I mean obviously as pollsters you want want to get results that are then confirmed by the actual election. That's the sort of big the big picture apart from that sort of global concern, what sort of specific worries would you have that you know you might say keep you keep you awake at night other than the worries we all have about the pandemic and other uh, very consequential things, but in in your narrow world, what are there, like, are there specific things about the nature of the race and and the polling that that you kind of have sort of somewhere nagging at you a little bit of of worry?
2: Well, I guess I'll jump in and I'll say there are two things. Number one, um, more people are saying that they are uh, personally better off than they were four years ago. That's been a recurring theme, and uh, uh, James Pendle at The Globe and and I have talked about this, and he did a really great story where I gave him some of the names of people who were willing to be interviewed from our Maine and New Hampshire polls who were saying that they were better off but they were voting for Joe Biden or they thought the country was on the wrong track. It turns out that in most of the states we've polled about one in five people who say that, uh, that they are personally better off of voting for Joe Biden. So it's almost as if people are selfless and they're putting the the country before their own personal or economic situations. That's the first piece. Um, and the second, I think, is, you know, we look at um, a lot of the states and Suffolk reproduces the actual state ballot. Um, and a lot of other pollsters don't do this. And, and um, it's been kind of a, 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 a bone of contention for us because in, in Florida there are seven candidates for president on the ballot in Minnesota there are nine candidates for president on the ballot
0: wait is Pat, is Pat Paulson running again is, is he still alive
2: Kanye West is on the Minnesota ballot and quite and and one of the things I said after uh, the Minnesota poll was that if Minnesota gets close and nobody ever picked up on this Kanye West was getting six percent he was only getting one percent in the poll he was getting 6% of non-white voters in Minnesota, many of whom were uh, uh, young, uh, young voters. So uh, do I think Minnesota is gonna be close? No, but those are the kinds of, you know, in the weeds things that kind of drive us crazy. Will Trump have an above average support level among African-Americans? I mean, in the Florida poll, for example, which we had a dead heat at the time, it was even, uh, Gloria Lariva. Gloria Lariva from the Socialism and Liberation Party was getting 1% of the vote. Now, she was getting 3% of the vote from younger voters, and she was getting 2% of the vote from Hispanic voters, both of which would come right off Joe Biden's total, uh, the young and the Hispanic. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that I don't think there's enough polling information. One of the things we, we were actually thinking of doing was just doing African-Americans in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin. But with so many states to poll and so much money being expended, we haven't really gotten around to that. And at this point, it doesn't seem like it will matter. But at some point, it might, because African-American subsets in most polls are you know, small, 12 to 15 percent. So it might only be 75 respondents. And you can't really make a conclusive determination based on that.
0: How about on your... Your end, Steve, what what do you kind of sort of worry about that could be sort of uh, could be could be throwing things off?
3: Yeah, I mean, for me personally, we're actually not doing a whole lot of elections polling ourselves this year. I mean, I I, which I have to say is somewhat of a mental health relief for me. (laughs) I'm jealous. I'm
2: very jealous.
3: (laughs) I used to I kind of described it as um Political polling is two years of anonymity, two months of excitement, uh, two days of anticipation, and two hours of sheer professional terror. (laughs) because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're you know no one cares for a while and then you're then you're watching as your professional reputation hangs in the balance with no possible chance at redemption for years to come <laughs> um, but no I mean seriously though the things that the things in reading the polls because of course I still consume uh, all the polls that get put out there um, it, it's kind of what I said before which is just what impact does the ways that we're voting this year have you know what impact does the dropbox situation in texas have what should we take from the fact that this seemingly enormous number of voters have already cast their ballots in in texas you know d- does that have any impact on you know who turns out to vote and would that be different than what than what a poll uh, might produce you know and you multiply that times all the states that are that are close and in contention you know those are the kinds of things in addition to what david said you know there's there's um if, if it's close, then all of the things that David said certainly would, would just uh, th- would play a big role. And we'd all see it in retrospect, uh, what David just just anticipated. But the big thing that I really, really think about is um, is just all the early voting vote by mail. What counts, you know, in the three days that are after Election Day, who count who cast a mail ballot like two days before? And was it different than the people who cast it two weeks before? And um, those are the kinds of things which, you know, we we. Ask about in polls. We ask if you cast a ballot, do you plan to cast a ballot? You know, how do you plan to vote, and that sort of thing. But there's just such different systems in place this year that it seems possible that that could um, interrupt uh, the, the the links that we've learned to establish between how we ask the questions and what people end up doing.
0: Right, and it seems to me that I mean all this early voting and mail-in voting. It does seem to again reduce a little bit the window for events over the next you know 10 days or so to 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 reshape the race as significantly as they might otherwise be able to do yeah. I mean the other thing that that I'm struck by is that you know we still have uh issues in various states going into court now and they're going to continue to be things popping up now there could be things going to court even after November 3rd as as ballots are still being processed so there's we haven't even gotten into all the kind of legal Variables and unknowns. Uh, I mean, there's like we know there's been a huge uh, number of people in the country out of work. I don't think there are any election lawyers looking for work now. I mean, they've all been hired up, uh, and it's just kind of going to be kind of a seems like a sort of litigation feeding frenzy potentially. Uh, I mean, then the last thing I'll say is what you know. Normally, we'd sort of end this and say, well, you know, stay tuned, folks. You know, it's X days away, and we'll 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 soon know. But that's the other final thing that just is makes this race different than any election, certainly in my lifetime. That we're just being warned now that it's very likely we may not we may not know on 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 the night of the election who's won. Uh, of course, that that you know that that could change. Um, sort of, how do we what do we make of that? And and I just would sort of close with asking Jess about that because again, you've been reporting from states and and you have a story uh, in the Globe from florida saying they're one of the states that actually has been processing ballots as they've come in they're not showing the count but they're not sort of in the in the situation where on election day they're going to be just flooded with having to to do all the counting and so it's possible we'll know the winner in florida on election night and that potentially could could be very very telling of the whole race right
1: it really could and i know this sounds crazy but it's possible that Florida could give us some clarity on election night. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I know, I know, I
0: know, you Just like it's short circuited there. Right, right. Don't tell Al Gore that.
1: I know, I know you laugh. I know it sounds, I know it sounds wild, but here's why. Um, Florida has 22 days of pre-processing of ballots. And they're not just opening envelopes and sorting ballots into piles. They are feeding ballots into the voting machine and the Florida canvassing boards are meeting, examining signatures, examining little dots and bubbles to figure out if they're votes or not. So a lot of what we saw happening after the 2000 election as that recount was, was dragging out and litigation was firing up, is actually happening now, that doesn't mean that Florida won't be close. That doesn't mean that it's possible it could come down to provisional ballots and generally be confusing. But Florida is going to post enough data early in the evening um, that will at least have a diagnosis of, okay, how close is it in Florida? And if it is really close in Florida, then I think we can, we can expect a long drag out, you know, dragged out count, especially because um, that could mean that the election then comes down to these swing states where they're not processing early ballots, like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, which only does a tiny bit of early processing, but doesn't start counting early. Um, and in Wisconsin too, they can't start counting ballots until election day. So I think to get some clarity on election night, we're really gonna wanna look to these swing states that process their ballots early, and that's Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, Ohio uh, does some of this too. Um, that's where we're gonna see the most data the earliest. And, and that I think is where we will get an idea of, of, of what the picture is. Are we in for a ride where we have to kind of hang on every vote count that comes out of Pennsylvania Or are we in for something that actually does look a little bit clearer?
0: And the clarity presumably would come if say in Florida or North Carolina or certainly Ohio were showing uh, Biden doing well, that would probably sort of tell you that's the ball game.
1: Absolutely, if you see Biden doing well in any of these swing states that, that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 that are posting their results kind of early, that could start to paint a pretty hopeful picture for Democrats on election night. Although there is another caution there. Uh, we've heard all about the red sh- or the red mirage and the blue shift, right? The idea that the first votes that get counted are gonna be votes that were voted on election day and it's gonna make Republicans look like they're in the lead. And then as mail-in votes get tallied, uh, Democrats are gonna catch up and there's gonna be a shift toward blue. Well, in Florida, We've had, as we talked about earlier, a huge, uh, Democrats have a huge lead in mail-in voting. So those first results that get posted may actually be skewed toward Democrats. Democrats may be overrepresented in those results. And that means we may be looking at a bit of a blue mirage early in election night. Um, And I think that's something that's important for everybody to just kind of wrap their minds around.
0: All right. Well, um, that's a lot for us to wrap our minds around and we're going to leave it there. And uh, I just want to thank, uh, thank you all for a great conversation. Jess Bidgood from the Boston Globe, David Paleologus from Suffolk University, Steve Casella of the Massing Polling Group. Thanks again, everyone.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.
0: This has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.